0: Hello and welcome to our FIS podcast, Castaway, keeping you in the know on the shipping and commodity world where we're all at home quarantined. We know that working and business has changed dramatically in the past couple of months, so developing a range of resources to help keep you up to date on everything happening. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website, www.freightinvestorservices.com, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the 20th episode, I'll repeat the 20th episode of Castaway and we have a full crew in for this special occasion. Uh, joining me in the office, we have Alex and Kerry, you're well acquainted with them. All the way from Singapore, we have Tom and our special guest today, we have Chris Party, head of agribusiness at R1 International. Hello everyone. Good Hi morning. Chris, what are afternoon and
1: evening.
0: we're gonna start with our market news stories and any interesting editorials we've come across the week to give us our context of everything we're going to talk about in terms of the commodity business, uh, before our main market update uh, this Wednesday, the 12th of August, before going on to our special feature. Um, worth noting to start before we go into news stories, uh, we have been following gold for a little while and it's quite a correction we've had. We, we hit a high on Thursday of uh, $2,075.00. And that's pulled back to uh, 1,863 this morning. Uh, Silver, Silver's even more of a move, correcting some 15% in the last 24 hours, uh, but still up 32% uh, in the month range. Uh, we have had from the, the news story that Kerry brought up last week in terms of uh, what's happened in Lebanon, uh, yeah. the government have now resigned. Uh, and also the news yesterday afternoon, that's yesterday evening, that Kamala Harris has been announced as Joe Biden's running mate for the election later this year. Very good choice. Cool. So let's jump into the news. Uh, Kerry, why don't we start with you and on a, a topic which we're well acquainted with, the virus.
2: Exactly. Um, not to start with something too depressing, but this news story is from Deutsche Welle, and uh, it is titled Germany extends travel warning to two more Spanish regions. But I guess the uh, the point I want to draw from this is the shocking rise in infections in Spain at the moment. Uh They've averaged nearly 5,000 new cases a day over the past seven days. Um, and this is now more than just a little bit of a bump. Uh, to put that in perspective, Spain currently has 95 coronavirus cases per 100,000 people. That's compared with 24 in France, 17 in the UK and 13 in Germany. So, you know, we're now looking at numbers that are looking an awful lot like the beginning of the the first wave, partially up into the first wave. Um, and and this is beginning to look an awful lot like a second wave uh in spain at least for the moment uh it's questionable at this point whether that can be brought under control with this number of new cases per day and the spanish government is effectively admitting that at this point um and saying they may have to take some emergency measures uh and i think it's it's very salient points in light of today's gdp figures for example in the uk showing a 20 percent decline in uh, in Q2. I think, you know, we are just emerging from the first wave. We're just starting to see the economic effects of the first wave pile up. And I think the second wave is potentially hitting now sooner than many of us expected. So that's something to, to very much watch for. Um,
0: yeah, it's been a, a huge problem for Spain and a yeah. country which relies so much on its tourist yeah. industry. They are very reluctant, obviously, to... To close those borders. Yeah. UK has changed its advice from other countries, and that's having a big impact and a worry in the market
2: that Europe could have a, a Europe-wide resurgence of this virus. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. So it's something to watch closely.
0: Cool. Alex, why don't I move on to you? And you have picked up a new story
3: on renewables. Yeah, and it's from Forbes, and it is basically Well, the title is plummeting Renewable Energy Battery Price has been China could hit 62% clean power and cut costs 11% by 2030. So, I mean, look, China is the world's largest greenhouse gas emitter and it's building the most power plants of any country in the world, making its decarbonisation paramount to preventing dangerous climate change. But the costs of wind, solar and energy storage have fallen so fast that building clean power is now cheaper than building fossil fuels, quite a lot cheaper. So, new research shows that plummeting clean energy prices mean China could reliably run its grids on at least 62% non fossil electricity generation by 2030. So, cutting costs 11% compared to a sort of business as usual approach. But, and, you know, we all know that COVID 19 has sort of sparked this global emissions drop, and China's tumbled by an estimated 25% in the first quarter of 2020. However, May data showed a rapid rebound driven by coal power and cement production. And so emissions are up four to five percent year over year. China's scale sort of makes these decisions globally important when they're sort of looking at the you know, reduction of emissions. And you know, potentially their decisions can be perilous. Emissions from the country's power sector are comparable to combined power sector emissions from the US and Europe. Um, Its core capacity additions in 2019, for example, accounted for nearly two-thirds of all capacity added worldwide, yet the country has also demonstrated unparalleled ability to scale zero carbon generation, and they currently lead the world in installed wind and solar capacity, as well as nuclear power, right? Um, So, I mean, if if the rapid downward price trend for renewable energy continues and capital investment choices shift away from fossil fuels... China can provide, like we said earlier on, 62% of the electricity from non-fossil sources by the end of the decade. And that's going to make a huge difference to the world, to how we see energy, to how we treat energy, and our entire perception of the of the energy markets, I think.
0: And it plays directly into something that you brought, I think it was last week, where you're talking about other companies like BP investing a lot more yeah. themselves, whether that's yeah. genuine interest in it or jumping on the attitude of the public. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely where the world is moving.
2: Exactly. And it's something we've seen sort of in Europe as well, uh, and to some degree in the States, uh, which is the falling cost of renewables amidst the pandemic in particular. And, and the
3: falling cost in storage, I think, which is a main part of it. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the the fact that the capacity and storage story is coming front and centre yeah. again after the WTI issue earlier on in the year. And yeah. this is now uh, moving into the, the renewables. Exactly.
0: Tom, uh, why don't we move on to your news story? And you have one this week, which is on WeChat. Tom, you're on mute, I think.
4: Sorry. Um, Yeah, so from me, an article uh, from Bloomberg about uh, Mr. Trump's renewed attacks on uh, China, uh, this time taking pop at um, a couple of particular um, uh, apps, essentially, uh, in China. Uh, WeChat, um, for those of you that aren't aware of what it is, is essentially... It's Spotify, it's WhatsApp, it's uh, yeah, Apple App Store, everything rolled into one. It's a hugely important piece of technology in China, uh, but it's also a hugely important piece of technology for Western uh, sort of residents uh, speaking to uh, to China. Uh, WhatsApp is banned in China and it sort of has taken on that role of allowing um you know, non 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 Chinese residents uh, living elsewhere to to speak with people in China, and certainly a lot of businesses use it. We use it as a communications tool, um, so it has some some uh, some big knock on impacts uh, to businesses and individuals alike. Uh, and essentially, Tencent has had a monumental year in terms of dollar growth um, through the COVID nineteen. Crisis. Essentially, uh, it's grown 280 billion dollars this year. So that's the size of Samsung, uh, and is the fifth biggest dollar gain in the pla- on the planet over the over the period from March uh, until end of last week. And this rally was single handedly stopped by uh, Mr. Trump uh, at the back end of last week uh, when he signed an executive order to ban U.S. entities from dealing with WeChat and TikTok. Um, so this is all borne out really from the TikTok spat that I think we were talking about last week. Uh, and he's taken aim at someone else, this time someone with a lot more uh, sort of uh, feelers into the the, the Western world uh, from a you know more advanced perspective in terms of you know corporations are using this piece of technology. So Ten Cent shed sixty six billion over two days, uh paired a bit of it back. Um, But it's been a a big, big hit for them Um, and will be interesting to see how this plays out. Interestingly, they're releasing results this evening or they may just have actually done so. Uh, I haven't seen them as yet, but uh, certainly the executives there will be seeking to reassure the market that um, whatever the White House is throwing at it, they are in a cash position and strategy position to to withstand it. So, you know, the... uh, the, the damage continues, I guess, the fallout continues from the trade war, this time very, very targeted, uh, very, very focused, and I think you know, it has sent a lot of jitters through both the Chinese stock market and, the, and the, the US markets as to how this may unfold from a retaliation perspective from the Chinese as well.
0: I guess there's a real example of something very specific, which has come out of this uh, kind of souring of relationship between the US and, and China. something which people would have used and not really thought about the impact of it before before it's been banned by by the us so yeah another thing we're watching in terms of the development of of that relationship between the world's big powers
2: Uh, yeah and and another element of the ongoing disconnection on every level um now including communications apparently personal communications yes
0: Uh, Let's quickly move on to my news story, very uh, brief one before moving on to our market updates. I picked up this one from the FT, which was on the exam grade fiasco, which is happening in the the UK. Um, This is the second part. Um, This is in England, where it's now uh, a serious problem in terms of the virus disruption to actual uh, exams uh, and people relying on predicted grades from teachers which have been adjusted uh, which has caused all sorts of problems in terms of downgrading uh, of grades people missing university level uh, p- university offers um, the same happened in Scotland uh, last week where they had uh, 125,000 secondary school grades were were adjusted uh, down uh, and that's now been reversed and it seems that the the English government English decision about English results as well has also taken the same, same move to try and uh, make it more representative and not penalize people for, for areas and what has been you know, a seriously difficult time for, for secondary school students and getting results, which, which makes sense. But highlighting this is another point of the impact of the virus, probably one we didn't necessarily think might happen several months ago um, and could have a you know, big increase in problems in terms of uh, social mobility, which, which we've seen over the last decade, could knock students back uh, but something which I thought was was worth highlighting as something outside of the commodity world which could definitely have an impact for the businesses and the universities and those going to it. So,
2: um,
0: right, let's move on to our commodity news and overview of our main markets. Kerry, you want to give us an overview of what's happening on the dry FFAs?
2: Yeah, well, the, uh, the, the freight market actually failed to meet expectations, I would say. Uh, after the Singapore holidays, I think a lot of people were looking for a further bounce. Optimism had been very high. There was... Talk on the physical market of that Cape C5 route, the West Australia-China pushing up to nine bucks. It never really got there. It settled down to region $8 at the moment, or even just below. There are rumors of seven spot 90 being done uh, yesterday evening, uh, and the 5TC average has now begun to drift a little bit. Uh, it's fallen from 20,700 roughly this time last week to uh, 19,200 today. Um, the front month paper, interestingly, has been almost entirely flat. Uh, it's been steady uh, at just under 22,000, uh, where it was this time last week and where it, was, where it continues to be today. Uh, meanwhile, the Panamaxes are where all the action have really been. Um, they've been pushing very strongly the solid demand in both basins. Uh Panamax index moved up over three thousand dollars from ten and a half thousand this time last week, and today we're looking at uh, thirteen seven hundred five. That's for the four TC average, uh, with the front month contracts jumping about thousand dollars. That September trading fourteen thousand two
0: hundred today. Cool, Becky you, Gary. Uh, on oil, unfortunately, it's a continuation of not much happening. Um, Brent at the start of the week we did push above the forty five mark, which is something to note. Kind of silently pushing up um we are marginally up where we are this where we were last time this week Uh, we've seen recovery in the cal 21 high fives the high five being the difference between low sulfur uh, fuel content and high sulfur fuel content or kind of scrubber spread as it's as it's known that's now pushing back up towards 90 dollars levels after looking like it was going to collapse towards 50 which really was putting um I guess worries in those people who invested millions of dollars in, in scrubbers. installing scrubbers yeah. <laughs> onto, onto vessels. So don't worry. It looks like it's moving back up again on the high five uh, spreads. Um, worth noting that with the roll of the month that we had, uh, those front spreads for all but the Rotterdam 3.5% moved move back into, into Contango. But again, we've seen a very strong move on those front spreads uh, in the window trading this morning. Uh, and that has pushed back into backwardation in the front months for, for high sulfur fuel oil, both Singh and Rotterdam, uh, and pushing the, the 0.5% towards that as well. But it does seem to represent what we were talking about last week, where the, the very low sulfur fuel oil seems to be well supplied. Uh, unlike what's happening in the high sulfur market, we've talked about the Saudi Arabians importing lots for their power production all those uh, air conditioning units during the summer. Uh, but this seems that it's you know, a really good representation of what we've talked about. Oversupplied on the on the very low sulfur fuel oil. Yeah, uh, you're seeing uh, contango for for all those front future levels, unlike in the high sulfur, which is still holding strong, uh, but does look like it may start to to fall away as the the increase in supply of heavier crudes come from OPEC as uh, their agreement to to reduce the the cut by two million barrels starts starts to bite. But a continuation of what we've had of of not really much happening of interest in the summer. Yeah. Everyone's on holiday. That's that's my <laughs> Exactly.
2: We're entering that August lull, aren't we?
0: But supply and demand wise, Kerry, what, why are we seeing these movements?
2: Well, you know, I think one thing on the capes is that the shortages in the east caused by the crude change issues that were centered on COVID regulations in China in particular uh, seem to be easing a touch. That's easing the congestion, loosening the tonnage supply there. And it's that it was that congestion that had really driven those West Aussie China rates up so much so quickly, um, and that's allowed that C5 route to start to fall a little bit. Uh, out of Brazil, the story has been one of a standoff. There are quite a few balusters on the capes now looking for cargo, uh, but so far unwilling to take a major hit uh, with the charters standing back and unwilling to pay last done. Uh, meanwhile, on the Panamax side, the, the ton of supply in the North Atlantic has been very, very tight, and that's been driving up rates there. From a demand standpoint, um, it's interesting to note that whilst there's been a standoff uh, and indeed a decline on the prompter dates uh, uh, for that C3 route Brazil-China, the market slightly forward looks quite different. Um, there's a number of charters on the physical market still looking for September tonnage above $18 on that C3. And in fact, the C3 forward curve is reflecting that, interestingly, uh, being marked up at 186 uh, which is very substantially above the $17 spot index on that today. Um, so that reflects the continued optimism about Brazil's output um, of iron ore, which we've talked about fairly endlessly on uh, on this podcast. Um, on the Panamax, we're seeing a lot of business driven right now by the NOPAC grain round trips. That is uh, grain being exported from the U.S. northwest uh, into China, Japan, and Korea. Uh, and that's been driving quite a lot of the business in the Pacific.
0: Thank you Kerry. Uh, on the oil side it's definitely worth noting some things which we've seen although we've not had massive movements in the markets um, it's not good news for for Libya or Libyan oil industry they are still suffering from that three-way civil war which has blocked any sort of exports of oil for about uh, from, from the start of this year really. Uh, so they're not coming in they had just over 1 million barrels per day was their usual production before. It all kicked off uh, there, so you know you're, this helps OPEC, the rest of OPEC, because you know that's not some yeah. more, more production than they have to <laughs> cut. But definitely worth noting if there's a change in the in what's happening there that that could bring in a lot more oil in terms of supply side uh, for things. There's been a massive reduction, obviously, with um, the supply from yeah. from refiners in in Asia, which we talked about previously for the very low sulfur fuel oil that has continued and really. Been pushed in terms of the amount because of the increase in production from China and India. Yeah, we've we talked previously before recording this podcast about the new Chinese contracts on the fuel law, which they're doing on their their onshore contracts. Uh, that has been obviously pushed, and the the increase in production has been has been noted in in the region, uh, making up more than making up for the cuts to to refinery production from from other Asian uh, countries. Also in the US. We noted previously that there was a big supply glut and everyone was going for all, that, uh, all, the, all the storage they could find. We saw it in the tanker rates, which pushed up massively uh, at that time. And now we are seeing companies take back supply, which had been stored in the American Strategic Reserve. So they were actually hiring space there for a very, very small amount, but they have until uh, August the 1st to take back that. Otherwise, they're gonna have to start paying some increased rates. Uh, and that's going to be some 2.2 million barrels of oil uh, that they're going to have to take back from that reserve and also take it with a pinch of salt. <clears throat> but Iraq is saying that they are going to be increasing their production cuts. They've been not great in terms of their compliance level for the start of this year, but they're saying that they're going to make an extra 400,000 barrels per day cut in August on top of their output agreement to 1.06 million barrels per day under the OPEC plus deal. So, Seeing some things which could then impact at the end of this year, especially the change in Libya would have a huge impact on supply uh, and also the changing nature of of refineries and what they're producing. But demand is just simply on countries coming back online. We talked about the problem with Europe, perhaps a second wave that, of course, is going to cause problems and concern in terms of demand for products uh, with already high levels of storage of that. But a news which prompts into the environmental news stories that we've been pushing. Uh, Stenabolk have uh, started and they've done a trial of a, uh, a new fuel using cooking oil, which is a blend to uh, actually reduce, reduce their emissions. Um, this obviously has a cost, which is around about $100 more a tonne uh, than usual fuel oil, so it's not going to be rolled out entirely, but can definitely be used in a similar way to the carbon offsetting scheme
2: to help reduce those uh, emissions. But that's what we are seeing uh, on the oil front. Excellent. And just a quick note on the iron ore, I know we don't have time today to talk about every single commodity we'd like to given our grain special, but um, the market continues to fly uh, and it continues to achieve levels that I think none of us can quite explain uh, except for sentiment driven buying within the Chinese domestic market. That is a lot of retail money flooding into the DCE futures. Um, I just wanted to note that the DCE in the past week has twice sent notices on the regulation of irrational, quote, trade on iron ore products, um, which is usually a sign that uh, that they're getting quite concerned that this retail money is driving things too high. Um, It's worth watching what happens here because that often presages some action from the Chinese authorities to try and limit speculation in the market. Uh, so keep an eye on that. But in the meantime, we continue to absolutely fly with that uh, September contract on iron ore still trading about 116 and a quarter, um, a couple bucks above where we were this time last week. And the August uh, you know remaining balance of the month still up at uh 120
0: and a half. Cool. Thank you everyone. So let's come to our main feature of today. Chris, coming in to talk to us about uh, agribusiness, we've given you a a short introduction as the head of agribusiness at R1 International, but I don't know whether, Chris, you want to give us a bit more of a background to yourself, uh, for everyone who's listening.
1: Uh, Yeah, thanks for for the introduction. Yeah, I'm with R1 at the moment, so looking at setting up the agribusiness. R1's a a rubber-focused business, and I've had... 30 years in the various agri commodities, uh, started with uh, the famous John Ban in the 1980s uh, with, uh, with Cargill. Uh, I'm gonna cover um, most of the futures, the markets that, are, that have got active futures, so soy, corn and wheat, uh, cotton, coffee, sugar, rubber and cocoa, um, very brief comments on most of them. The, the general sentiment in the, in the ag markets is that there is good supply, um, demand is uncertain and has, and has in most cases been uh, been reduced by by COVID. Uh, the prices of all the the US futures are running below where they were last year, and below the uh, the five year average. Um, but they are you know, significantly above in some cases the the lows that were seen post COVID. So we had some some sell offs. So. In, in terms of, of reference, <clears throat> the, the soybean price is currently eight seventy. Uh, last year it was nine forty, and the low that we saw was was eight forty. So we're, we're we're up from the lows, but we're below um, in in dollars the, uh, the the last year's price. In corn, we've been we've been very low price. We're at three twenty three today. Um, the low we saw was three twenty, and last year we were at three thirty. Um, I won't go through all of the different products, but it's, it's just that general theme that uh, crops have been good. Um, we haven't had any, uh, any major major crop issues. Uh, we're gonna have a, a WASDE report today, which is a uh, world agriculture su- supply and demand estimate coming out from the, uh, from the USDA. Um, no major surprises are expected. Uh, we are expecting to get a, a record yield for, for soybeans, um, which will, will increase uh, increase the carryout and we're expecting an increased yield in in corn so both of those would have a, a further increase in in the u.s carryout and um, a relatively um, well supplied global situation where we're not putting up any we're not expecting any major revisions upgrades mm-hmm. in uh, um, in the estimates for, for demand yeah uh, in the In the softs, um, cotton, coffee, sugar, rubber, they all had bigger sell-offs due to COVID. So the cotton price went down to a a low of 50 cents um, and has has bounced back up to 63 cents. And so that's had a a 25, 27% increase from the lows post COVID. But it's not really really driven by demand and and outside the the non-US premiums are, are relatively weak coffee also had had a a 20% bounce uh, the second half of July. Um, And cocoa and rubber have also seen uh, 20% bounces as as there's been a bit more investor interest. And I've I've obviously followed the the iron ore price increases um, where that's trading at historic high. The the, the main positive factor in in the ag sector is that prices are relatively low versus uh, versus history and versus producer yeah. economics in, um, in US dollars. Um, one factor that um, in Brazil is obviously a big player in in the soybean market and uh, and there we've got a, got a good crop and we've got good forward selling with the, with the real relatively weak against the US dollar at 5.4 compared to four last year. so both in coffee and sugar, and, and to a certain extent, uh, corn, but specifically on beans, there's there's good uh, good selling from from the Brazilian farmer. Um, four four big swing factors that uh, that influence to a varying degrees the uh, the different ags. The U.S. China trade deal and trade yeah. um, conflicts are, are important factors, particularly in the soybean trade. Um, and also in cotton, so those would be big, two big U.S. flows into uh, into China. Um, there's a, another round of, of talks going on this week. Uh, the oil market you've discussed um, there, particularly for corn and sugar, you get a, a big influence of ethanol production, and the lower oil prices are tending to reduce ethanol production. So we're expecting today's WASD to have uh, a lower. U.S. ethanol production, and also the potential switch out of uh, out of ethanol in the in the sugar complex. Obviously, the, the COVID demand reductions. Um, you know, talks in the coffee market have been that uh, people are, are are drinking less outside, but obviously some people are, are drinking more at home. But at the moment, the assumption is a reduction in uh, in consumption. Cotton. Uh, people buying less clothes uh, is also a a reduction and the the rubber market also having uh, very influenced by the automobile, the amount of driving and uh, new car purchases. So uh, demand reductions in in most of those uh, those products, but the degree of COVID reduction for this crop year, and then what kind of rebound we might get for for next year is still very much uncertain. And then factor that's come up um, as we're coming into the Northern Hemisphere with with, pretty big crops is the availability of financing for both the trade and for farmers. There's been a lot of uh, banks that have had had issues. And uh, this week, we've had ABN um, announcing that they're scaling back their agribusiness. Uh, We've got Gen, and BMP also scaling back in their participating in agribusiness and depending on commodities in general, uh, and so that's certainly a, a factor to be watched. Ooh, a real, so overall, go ahead,
0: sorry. it's a fantastically wide-ranging yeah. uh, <laughs> overview of everything that we've had. Um, it's all like
1: camera on basis.
0: Yeah, no, we, we've seen that amazing demand uh, in terms of the agricultural, really good yield this year, represented in fertiliser prices, you know, something that we, we cover here at FIS, in a really giving support to, to those things. But I know that the guys here uh, have some questions to ask you, and I think we get your
3: your knowledgeable insight on some some bits and pieces for that. So uh,
0: Alex is going to ask the first question.
3: So Chris, you did touch on it when you were giving us that overview there, but what I wanted to ask was, is it sentiment for the crop or just a currency play that's resulting in an increase in forward sale prices for the twenty-one twenty-two soybeans out of Mato Grosso?
1: Yeah, I think it's so. It, there is a definite big impact that for um, for the emerging market currencies, and particularly real. So that is encouraging farmers to to make forward sales. But this this fight for market share of the of the China soybean imports. So China imports it's round numbers, a hundred million tons. The the estimate is ninety six million tons of of soybean imports, and that the share of Brazilian. Uh, imports has, has been increasing, and, uh, and you know the, the period February till September is very focused on Brazil. So it's a it's a it's a nice price in real, even though the price in US dollars is lower than last year. And it's a a fight for market share into China. China is China represents more than sixty percent of of global trade in in soybeans. Okay.
2: Kerry, you've got a couple of questions. I I do have a couple of questions. Um, Relating to that
1: soybean
2: uh, business we're talking about, I mean, we're aware that the South American soybean business was originally started, or at least fueled in its growth by American embargoes on soy exports in the 70s, leading to huge spikes in prices and forcing Japan to look for other supply avenues at that time. Um, Do you think there could be any unforeseen consequences uh, of this current global trade war, this current U.S.-China trade war, in terms of a change in the global trade flows on soya?
1: yeah, I think I think it's been a trend, as you say. It started in the seventies, the Brazil soil production, and it was it's a combination of of growing demand. So, so China's, I think my, when I started my career in that in the mid eighties with with Johnny V, the, the China imports of soya were, were were minimal, uh, and we've and we've rallied quickly to hundred million tons. So it's the, the, the trade war issue is encouraging Brazil to to plant more soy. It's a, it's a very efficient efficient flow, um, and you know, the demand for for China, the meat demand and growth in uh, in their both their population and their and their GDP uh, means that Brazil is the most efficient place to uh, to grow soybeans now. And uh, the crop in Brazil is bigger bigger than the US. So. It, it's a trend that's, that's ongoing, and yes, this, this trade spat will, will keep that trend going. Okay, interesting, interesting. On a slightly more focused note,
2: uh, I also had a question on corn, because I noticed you were talking about the ethanol use for that. Um, I mean, given that feed and ethanol uses for the corn um, are effectively capped in the U.S. at this point, that would seem to leave the market incredibly exposed to exports. Um, and I understand the WASD report is expecting a fairly healthy crop. So are we looking at a very negative outlook on the corn prices in the short term or?
1: Yeah, as, as I mentioned in the, in the, in the discussion, corn prices are already quite low. So we're at sort of 320, um, and we, the the WASD is going to come, we think with an increased carryout to about 2.75 billion bushels. Um, the, the, the corn situation in, in China is that. Their annual consumption is about 300 million tons. The estimate of their stocks currently is 200 million tons. So they've got nearly two thirds of a year worth of of consumption in stocks. In rice, they're carrying 120 million tons out of a a 200 million ton estimated consumption. Um, The the US corn S&D is surplus Mm -hmm. and the the need to price into into export markets will keep uh, prices under pressure. But it could also be seen as a good timing for for China to take more strategic stocks because their, their, their corn prices have been quite firm. They've, uh, they've okay. released some rice stocks to help dampen down the, uh, the corn price. So, um, yes, the question is the US corn prices probably will stay under pressure because we've got a good crop. We've got reducing ethanol demand and um, and then the dependence, if China would want to import, would they Take U.S. corn, or would they? You know, there's, there's Brazilian corn available as well. So, um, yeah, it doesn't yeah. look like the the corn prices have got a, a big rally potential unless there was a strategic uh, purchase by the by the Chinese, uh, which I which I wouldn't put out of the question with uh, with with these prices. Okay, interesting. Thanks a lot.
0: Alex is enthusiastically waving his hand. He wants a, another another question.
3: Um, not to go too Brazil-centric, Chris, but there was an article I came across about a week ago from McKinsey which talked about Brazilian farmers and their approach to or embracing digital sort of measures within their farm. And the article sort of claims because the average Brazilian farmer is a fair bit younger than uh, the American farmer, they have embraced it uh, quite heavily. And sort of the stats it gives, it says that Eighty five percent of Brazilian farmers surveyed say they use WhatsApp daily for farm related purposes. Seventy <laughs> percent use digital channels daily for farm related matters, and now a third of Brazilian farmers buy and sell seeds, fertilizer, and other aspects of their farming business online. Is the digital impact of, of you know on farming going to be significant or is it is it already been around for a while? How how does that affect things?
1: Well, I think it, it has been around for a while, and obviously those, those stats are thinking in both Brazil and Canada and the US the the technology that the farmers have and, and, and price access is, is increasing and and it's increasing the efficiency. It's amazing the scale of of farming for for corn and beans and for for, for sugar and coffee. Brazil is a, is a major it's the biggest producer of coffee. It's becoming a much bigger producer of cotton uh soya it's the biggest producer in corn so yeah the digitalization is is a major major factor in that um and and increasing the efficiency of the of the brazilian farmer and managing the you know, obviously it's a big logistic chain to get from interior brazil to, to the ports and that's that that efficiency has also been increasing
0: okay great uh, a couple of questions for me to uh, finish off um a big topic which is been discussed uh, across all sectors is the impact of climate change. Uh, and I know it is very difficult to, to speculate on the future, I think, but it is going to have a huge impact on, on the agribusiness. You've noted uh, today that the we're having really good yields this year, but with more extreme weather uh, and increasing temperatures, this is going to have an impact on, on the agribusiness.
1: Yes, yeah, I think it is. I think the, the, the positive thing that we've had is that uh, the, the seed breeding technology and to a, to a certain extent GM technology has kept yields increasing in the, in the major producing areas for, for both corn and beans and their resistance to both disease and, uh, and water shortages has, has improved. But, but definitely, so Australia already has issues with water and the cotton crop is, is significantly uh, being reduced because of, of lack of water and, and the grain crops are lower this year. And it is definitely a threat. You know, the, the, the issue that we've got this year, again, the northern hemisphere is tending to be the bigger total harvest, although as Brazil increases, you're getting a, a more of a 50-50 split. But we, we haven't had big weather problems in any, any crops for for quite a few years, and climate change and increasing temperatures um, could certainly have a, have an effect on that. And you know, if we would have significant crop problems, obviously the, the scale of consumption now, and that you know, realistically, it's it's Brazil and US that are the two big producing uh, producing areas. Australia's got a big big wheat area, uh, so yes, it is it is going to be a be a factor. But we've managed for the last many years to to avoid any big crop
0: issues. And my final question uh, is on politics. Uh, finish off with it. Um, US election coming later this year, uh, as long as the US president, current US president doesn't delay it somehow, um, that will obviously have a big impact on the ag business, as you said, a big producer, the US. And I don't know whether you want to try and perhaps outline what would happen in your opinion, depending on which of the two contenders does Eventually, win.
1: Um, yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a tough one. I wouldn't pretend. It. It, it, obviously, you know, the farming lobby is still quite important. Um, you know, we are at relatively low prices, but having had good yields, the farmers should be should be doing okay in the U.S. Um, you know, Trump has has tried to get the the deals through for both uh, uh, cotton and uh, and soya, which are the, the two big influenced uh, um, influenced products. To be honest, I don't have a have a strong view or opinion on what uh, what Biden's approach to uh, to agriculture in China will be. Obviously, uh, Trump tends to uh, point the picture that he will be more flexible, um, trying to deal with China. But uh, um, you know, I think the the fact is that China and the U S. for a certain number of these ag products, and and as I say, specifically soybeans uh, and cotton, to a certain extent, corn. US and China need each other and need to find a solution. But in the end, the world can get around that uh, different origins get shipped to China and and the US then goes to to other origins and it just gets reflected in the basis Mm. levels. The Brazil basis for for soybeans, for example, is very strong at the moment, whereas the Brazil basis for cotton is very weak because it's trying to price into the other markets that are are non-China. So uh, didn't answer your question very well, but I kind of have a strong
0: opinion and apologies. Yeah, very politician's answer then. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. We weren't going to get your political opinions out of you at the end of the podcast. Oh, damn it. Yeah. But anyway, thank you very much, uh, Chris, for joining us and uh, giving us an insight to all those commodities you, uh, you explained to us. Pleasure. And thank you to our regular guests for this, our 20th episode. So do listen in again next week and uh, hopefully we'll have some more interesting guests. For you as well but thank you everyone
3: thanks a lot thanks cheers. a lot
2: cheers